Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. Um, My guest today is Gopika Nair. She's a stem cell biologist at uh, UCSF, University of California, San Francisco. Uh, She's working on type 1 diabetes and uh, looking for breakthroughs uh, using stem cells. So any more detail on that, she'll explain. But uh, welcome, Gopika. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Richard. Um, it's, yeah. uh, it's a pleasure to be here. And uh, uh, I mean, in this, in this uh, shut lockdown, I was, I was glad to be part of this kind of a, uh, interactive session where I could talk about my research. Oh, It'll keep you busy. Yeah. So yeah. Um, why, why uh, do you have an interest in stem cells and why type 1 diabetes? I hope it personally doesn't affect you or you know, friends or family, but you know, like, Unfortunately, usually when people focus, it does. But what, what's your background? Like, why have you uh, decided to study this? Yeah, yeah. That's a really, I uh, mean, I think motivation is really important to do anything, right? So for me, I would say um, my I was really interested or fascinated by uh, stem cells at a very young age. Um, I was... Uh, I think it was, this was a long time ago, I was uh, around 14 or 15, and I was in India, I was growing up. At that point, uh, I watched this show on uh, Discovery Channel, and um, the professor from University of Wisconsin-Madison, his name is James Thompson. So he had just, uh, for the first time, uh, derived these uh, cells called uh, human embryonic stem cells. And I watched that show, and I was so fascinated. Um, and that's how my uh, stem cell biology uh, journey started. And then uh, following that, like my, my grandpa, uh, we don't have type 1 diabetes in the family, but um, we have a lot of type 2 diabetes. So my grandfather is one of them. He, um, he had a, like a very severe form of the disease. He had to uh, take insulin shots. And that was a big motivation for me to, you know, do something for patients, there are literally like millions of people suffering from both type 1 and type 2 diabetes across the globe. So that huh. was my motivation to really do something for all of them. Okay. And, and you're focused now on, uh, on type 1 diabetes, right? Instead of type 2? Yeah. The thing is, I mean, what we are trying to um, achieve in the lab is can be catered to both type 1 as well as type 2 diabetes. Um, So the type 1 diabetes is a more severe form of uh, diabetes where, you know, we all have cells in our body that make insulin. And that's uh, basically in the pancreas. And in type 1 diabetes, all those cells that make insulin, they're called the beta cells, they're destroyed by the immune system. So it's a very severe disease where you have absolutely, most patients um, who have type 1 diabetes have very, very less uh, insulin in their body, made by their body. While in type 2, it's more of um, uh, 
peripheral uh, insulin resistance related disease where the the beta cells, like I mentioned, the insulin producing cells in the body, they are in themselves kind of, um, uh, they are dysfunctional and injured. And um, then there is a demand in the in the body, the, ex- the peripheral tissues um, have this demand because either yes. stress, you know, people don't take good diet, or um, they have family history with you know genetic influences on um, predisposition to type two diabetes. So in that case, yeah, the beta cells that make insulin they are injured; they can't cope up with the demand. And uh, the person develops uh, type 2 diabetes. So yeah, what we do in the lab, we can apply that to both type 1 and type 2. But uh, since type 1 is the more severe form of the disease, we are um, uh, kind of trying to bring something uh, into clinic for that first. Well, yeah, I I would think that the mechanism of type 1 versus 2 are very different. Um, So in regards to type 1, what is thought is uh, is, is the issue is that I mean, there are just no beta cells that produce insulin or some gene is switched off in them where they don't produce insulin. Like what, you know, what's, uh, what causes that type one disease? Yeah. So, um, I mean, it, again, like historically people thought that their uh, children get some viral infections and then, you know, uh, a week or a month later they get type one diabetes. So there was a historic connection between some viral infection or insult to the body and then you're developing the disease. But what we have found after that is basically um, there is the immune system. So this is uh, type 1 diabetes falls under the class of autoimmune diseases. So the immune system is on uh, overdrive and they are attacking cells. In this case, the, the beta cells and uh, the, patient, the person basically over a course of so some people it develops slowly. For others, it's very rapid. So over the course of a few months to a a couple of years, uh, patients normally lose all of their insulin-producing cells. Some of them have very less, so there's not enough to really maintain the blood glucose uh, levels. So that is the uh, kind of the mechanism on how that happens. It's not because of a single gene. We, there is, um, we are... We are. We have figured out that there are multiple loci which are um, implicated in uh, a person being predisposed to type one diabetes. Um, but the the main cause is that you know the immune system is constantly destroying the beta cells, and at some point the person uh, is left with nothing. Why? Why do you think the immune system is destroying the beta cells? What is it about? Is it the immune system is just tuned wrong, or are the beta cells different? Like. Have you looked at the, uh, again, the genetics of the beta cells and the morphology, the, the proteins that appear on the surface, et cetera? What's different yeah. about them? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So initially, like, you know, what, uh, like I mentioned before, the thought was that there's some sort of an injury or insult to the body. For example, the viral infection, which um, induces or causes a beta cell to express um, proteins that are telling the uh, immune system, hey, I am injured, come and please, uh, like, you know, clear me, like, take care of me. So um, it's sort of a, a chicken and egg kind of a thing. So what we now know is that the, the disease starts at the beta cell level. So the beta cell is actually um, exposing certain proteins that uh, one of the, like, the main thing that is uh, present in people 
who have type 1 diabetes are these um, autoantibodies. So the autoantibodies are um, directed against uh, uh, proteins like insulin, GAD65. Those are the two main autoantibodies. And these are basically, you know, cell surface. So the cells are exposing these, um, the beta cells are exposing these, and then the immune system recognizes those and then make the autoantibodies. So it's still yeah. kind of... Um, unclear what the trigger is you know some uh patients i mean that if you look at twins for example you know twins are twins are kind of the perfect uh, uh, example to study something genetic right so mm-hmm. it's not com- so if one twin gets it it's not a complete 100 percent uh definitively the other will, the other one will also um get the disease so it's there is a genetic component as well as there's some sort of a stressful event in that a patient's life that triggers you know the immune system to go completely haywire and attack the beta cells well again is it the i mean in order for the immune system to attack the beta cells the beta cells need to be signaling and saying yeah something yeah. is wrong so where does it start again does it does it start from the beta cells um for some reason expressing the wrong proteins or does it start from the immune system malfunctioning? Yeah, that's a really good question. So, yeah. So in like the, um, the, the recent studies show that the disease starts in the beta cell. For example, there are these uh, stress pathways called uh, ER stress and oxidative stress. So those are activated in a beta cell when when the body faces some sort of you know uh, external stimuli where there this stressful environment these uh, internal um, cell internal intracellular event actually induces you know misfolded proteins to be formed one of the like easily misfolded protein is insulin actually um, i don't know how much you know about the insulin's uh, molecular structure um, no. It is, you know, it, it's made in a pre-protein form, and then you know, you know it has to be cleaved to form the right, um, right, uh, the, the correct insulin molecule, and then there has to be a disulfide bond form, uh, bond form between the uh, two chains. So there is an A chain and a B chain. So okay. what we have seen is that yes, you know, there's some um, stressful event that can trigger these beta cells um, to activate the ER stress pathway. And um, that leads to misfolded protein response. So there are a lot of these cellular proteins that get misfolded. And one among them is, of course, insulin. And um, as I uh, was um, mentioning before, the uh, circulating antibodies are mostly most people um, have type 1, type 1 people have um, order antibodies against insulin and another protein called GAD65. So yes, so we are now, you know, figuring out that the disease starts in the beta cell. Um, but there are also some, you know, some markers in an immune, in the immune profile that could show, I mean, it's a, since it's all happens in a human being, it's hard to say, hard to really study, you know, which, ha- which, which, which happens first. Um, or it could be a combination of both, you know, the beta cell is, um, not is defective as well as the immune system uh, is not under control. Have, have you or anyone looked at the microbiome of the pancreas, especially around the beta cells? Because, I mean, I asked for a couple of reasons. One is that, um, you know, they, there may be one. And from what I understand, uh, I, I don't know if this is a connection or not, but insulin can be made by certain bacteria. And that's, that's the mechanism by commercially how it's created. So I just wonder if there's, first of all, a microbiome in the pancreas 
you know, around the beta cells and are there any bacteria there that actually create insulin themselves? And, you know, maybe there's a dysfunction there by that creates a problem with the beta cells. Yeah, I mean, that's a good question with the microbiome. I mean, that's something that uh, not my lab, but other labs are looking at it. Um, the microbiome is the, the constitution of these uh, microorganisms in the gut. So uh, pancreas, I mean, in the next to the pancreas, we, there are no uh, there are no microbiome bacteria, but in the gut is lined with, you know, million, not with millions, billions of bacteria. And uh, recently they've been trying to see, so in, we have a lot more data in mice than human beings, but um, there is uh, something like a leaky syndrome. So the uh, gut is, so normally the, the gut lining is tight and that prevents the entry of these uh, bacteria. And what they have found is that there's this leaky um, gut syndrome, and it's more prevalent in or it, it, patients who get type one diabetes. Um, there's more correlation um, with a leaky gut. So again, it's all completely new. So we don't understand the the uh, basics of how a microbiome composition in the gut can influence something far away, which is in the pancreas. But uh, there's definitely some data out there that indicates that there is a link between those two. So in the lab, I mean, what we are focusing on is, of course, you know, people who have type 1 diabetes, their main cell that makes insulin is lost, right? right. So we are using uh, stem cells to um, replace these insulin producing cells that the patient has lost. And that can be done in both type 1 as well as type 2 patients. So in the for the last uh, many years, um, I've been working on trying to um, push um, stem cells, both uh, embryonic stem cells as well as uh, stem cells that can be made from, you know, we can just take skin grafts and tissue from you or me and then, you know, add certain factors and turn them into stem cell-like. And um, I have developed uh, many protocols to convert those cells into um, insulin-producing cells. Well, this would be interesting because I've heard that this may have been done, but then the body quickly kills off those uh, those newly formed beta cells. Is that what you've observed? Because if that's the case, that would tell you a lot. There's something else going on that, you know, that, that stress is continuing somehow to cause those cells, even if they differentiate into beta cells to, you know, again, to go wrong and to be targeted by the immune system. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a very, very good question. So what we, I mean, what I mentioned so far is that, you know, we have developed protocols to make these cells uh, in vitro, meaning in the in the lab dish, so we can now make a insulin um, positive beta cell, um, which is very similar to what's present in a human body in the lab. And the idea is to you know uh, transplant these into patients. And as as the as the point that you brought up, you know how do we protect them from getting damaged again, right? So in that regard, what we are doing is to find ways to encapsulate these cells. So to, to have like a, a pouch or something where we can pack these cells inside and uh, transplant them so that the immune system can no longer come and have access to these cells. So that's one way. Uh, another way that we are um, approaching this issue is to, so for an immune system to uh, uh, identify any cell, it has to match or it has to um, uh, look at HLA on, on the cell surface. So these, um, we are now trying to uh, modify the surface of the 
uh, beta cells that we make, we make in the lab. So we are dismantling the HLA system using CRISPR uh, gene editing technology. And then, uh, so that would essentially make the cell invisible to the immune system. So this is something that we're developing now. Um, of course, I mean, none of these can be tested in, in a patient yet because it has to go through FDA approval and all of that. So right now we are working with uh, mouse models and assessing how, you know, if we p- can we protect the beta cell by encapsulating in that pouch, uh, in the in the, uh, pouch like thing that I mentioned or um, having these gene editing tools and then making them invisible to the immune system. Can we protect them from further injury? Well, I guess it it still comes down to the crux of that, you know, the immune system is functioning properly or is it not, you know, and um, making them invisible to the immune system. I mean, that would say that I guess there's, again, there's still some stressor in the body that changes them to be, to alert the immune system, um, but the immune system is functioning correctly. So I just wonder how you would uh, to tease that out and figure out, again, what's the, really the, the root cause of this, uh, this cascade that starts? Yeah, I mean, um, so even in a patient who has uh, diabetes, right? So the, the immune system or any, any patient who, whoever, um, I mean, who is immune, immune, who's not immune compromised, the, there is a, the immune system identifies a cell through its HLA array of HLA molecules. So that's, I mean, it's different in you versus me. Um, And the way that, I mean, we think that we can protect. So like, uh, even if we try to regenerate a a person's uh, own beta cells within the person's body, of course, they'll still have the same HLA combination, right? Which Which is identified by the immune system and then they would be destroyed. And that's why what we are doing, we is we are making cells outside the person's body and they're not generated from, you know, the uh, same cells as the, as the patient. And they have, we have gone in and literally like removed and edited the genes that code for these HLA so that um, now the, the immune system, if you put the, the cells back in the patient, they cannot be recognized. Of course, there's a, there's a negative to it, right? So then that means normally the immune system surveys the body for cancerous cells and removes them. So we also want to make sure, you know, we are putting back cells in that can still be eliminated in case something else like uh, a cancerous uh, growth uh, occurs from the graft. Is there any correlation of, you know, pancreatic cancer with, uh, you know, diabetes type one or two? Is uh, there a higher prevalence of it? Yeah, actually, if you, I mean, this is kind of a, so pe- patients who have pancreatic cancer, um, their uh, pancreas is completely dysmorphic. So all of the organization of tissues is lost and the islets are also, uh, many patients, they are completely destroyed. So yes, there is a def- definite correlation between patients who get uh, pancreatic cancer and most of them end up being diabetic at some point. But it's not, vice versa is not true. For example, if you get, have type 1 diabetes, it doesn't mean that you will have a, a pancreatic cancer. Oh, so there's no predisposition, okay. Yeah, no, no, there's no predisposition. It's more of a cause and effect uh, in terms of like uh, cancer. Yeah, pancreatic cancer, I mean, it's it's really one of those worst diseases where um, you only detect it much later, and that 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 is the main cause that you you can. I mean, by the time you go in, your pancreas is destroyed, and right. all the cells, even the islets that make insulin, are destroyed. Yeah. Huh. Um, 
so how far are you along in your in your stem cell creation and you know and you know have you done this in mouse models have uh, you know how far along are you in figuring out are you able to make stem cells again that are actually you know hidden from the body and are they able to stay in residence and differentiate into you know pancreatic beta cells that produce insulin like how far along are you on this? Yeah, so we have, um, I mean, I published a very big paper last year where we showed that we can take these uh, naive, like the embryonic, um, human embryonic and pluripotent stem cells, and then you can add a cocktail of different factors. So these are growth factors. And that kind of uh, forces the cell to assume, you know, different, it follows the um, natural development in a, in a, in a, embryo. So we follow those steps and then the cells turn into insulin producing cells. So this all happens in the lab, in the lab dish. So we do not, we're not even putting in the body or nothing. So we can go from something that's uh, completely a naive stem cell into uh, a cell that resembles a human beta cell, um, which we uh, have did, did done like trans- transcriptome analysis um, looked at the um, the RNA expression in, in our cells and compared it to um, a human beta cell isolated from an adult. And what we find is, of course, our cells that we make in the lab are uh, very similar um, to something that's present in your or my body in terms of mm-hmm. how they look as well as how they behave, you know, how they uh, respond to glucose. So if you add... Um, how I mean uh, the the main property of these beta cells is that they should be able to um, respond to glucose in a very fine tuned manner. You know, the the as you increase the glucose concentration, the insulin ex- uh, production should also increase parallelly. So um, that's what we showed. We can these the cells that we make in the lab are very very similar in terms of their glucose um, responsiveness and insulin secretion profiles. And um, when we transplant these cells in uh, diabetic mice, so these are mice that have been um, injected with a drug that induces diabetes. And uh, our transplantation of our cells can actually cure the animals of diabetes very quickly within three days. So this is God is really excited. So um, and um, the next steps or where we are right now, as I pointed out before is trying to, I mean, before we go into patients, we need to figure out how to um, protect the cells from further destruction by the immune system. Uh, we know that the cells will work. We know that we can lower the, glu- uh, the glucose levels by transplanting our cells. But the next step is to really see how, um, so we have been collaborating with several bioengineers um, to see, uh, to evaluate devices where if we pack the cells in those devices, and then we can transplant the device under, under for example, as a patch um, under, your, under your arm, in the skin of the arm or, uh, or your abdomen, and then test if we can uh, rescue uh, the patient from diabetes. Yeah, I have a couple of weird questions. Where, where are the beta cells in the pancreas? I know it has like a head and a tail and it's, you know, it's, a few inches long, et cetera. Are they clustered in some part of the pancreas? Oh, yeah. So they are distributed all over. So the oh. majority of the pancreas, so the 98% of the pancreas is made up of um, uh, cells that uh, make digestive enzymes. So, you know, amylase and lipases so that we need to digest our, our food that we take intake. The rest, you know, literally 2 to 3% of the pancreas is made up of these islets and they're scattered 
as like dots all over the pancreas. But the thing is, you know, every islet is connected to the the um, the circulatory system. So blood vessels are going into every islet, and each cell of an islet is in is can immediately detect glucose levels. That's that's the main function. So they are in touch with every. Um, I mean, as blood flows through these capillaries into the islet, the cells can immediately sense glucose levels and then, you know, uh, release insulin. Well, what does the morphology of disease look like? You know, and in, in, if, if you're able to look at, you know, the pancreas of someone that's passed away from either type 1 or type 2, mm. is, is there a preferential destruction in part of the pancreas of the islets? Do they move around? Do they, you know, is the scarring preferential? I mean, is there anything there to be learned? Yeah, that's a some that's a very very good question. So there are several other labs looking at that. Um, what we have we know so far is that you know if when if you take a patient, for example, who is who has had diabetes for fifty years and um, passed away maybe when they were in their seventies or eighties, and if you look at their pancreas, so majority of the beta cells are gone, destroyed, right? But there are some pockets, some areas of the of the um, pancreas that still re- remains, or, or or the islet mass still looks intact. So somehow those cells are protected from the immune destruction. While the rest of the pancreas, you know, all of those other uh, islets got destroyed. So the 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 main, I mean, the main cause of the disease is, you know, as when the insulin production goes beyond a certain threshold, then you get the disease. So it doesn't matter if you have few cells, there's need, needs to be, you know, a certain level of insulin production for the, for your body to, to um, be, you know, normal glycemic. So we have... Well, the reason, um, the reason I ask is that when you put these stem cells back into somebody, I would guess you have to seed them into the pancreas at various spots or all in one spot. And Perhaps there's parts of the pancreas that are more, you know, uh, distal from the immune system attack. Maybe there's preferential sites to put the stem cells so that they can differentiate and, you know, not be attacked as readily. Mm. <laughs> I, li- I like that. Um, so, I mean, one thing, one uh, main difference that I would want to point out is like, you know, we, when we put back um, stem cells or, you know, there are also these, um, there is an, a, a kind of... Um, it's still an experimental procedure in the United States, at least, where you can take uh, cadaveric islets. So people who have already passed away, you take their islets and then transplant them back into a patient who has severe type 1 diabetes. So we don't actually go back into the pancreas. The pancreas is very sensitive organ, you know. So if you go, uh, if you do anything to it, you might get pancreatitis or pancreatic cancer. So that's even worse. So when we put back these cells, IBH stem cells or uh, islets from cadavers, we put it in a different place. I mean, the beauty of our the these cells is that, you know, they just need to be somewhere where they can be in touch with the systemic uh, circulation. So the islet transplant that I was uh, talking about, it goes normally into the portal vein. So they are transplanted uh, in the liver, actually, in direct, um, in direct like blood flow. With the stem cells, we want to be a little more careful because these are still, you know, something that um, is a lab-made 
um, and it's uh, it's really in its early stages of going to clinic. We want to put it um, not internally in somewhere you know inside the pancreas or inside the liver. We w would like to keep it um, subcutaneous or just above the skin, but still where you know you can you still still have some uh, contact with blood. Uh, circulation or a little more interior where in the, in the IP space, in the intraperitoneal space, mm -hmm. so that, you know, in case something goes wrong, you can retrieve the cells out of the patient's body. Yeah. So, oh, so you're envisioning having, um, I don't know, maybe like an organoid of stem cells that would, would preferentially turn into beta cells. I mean, it, you know, also here too, how do you get the stem cells to differentiate properly? What kind of context do they have to be in? cell-wise so that they differentiate properly you know if um i'm just making this up if the spacing of the islet cells in the pancreas is uh like i don't know one every quarter of an inch or something you know if you seed the pancreas with these stem cells do they migrate to evenly distribute these stem cells that then differentiate to you know like where do they go is there any knowledge to be gained there does the is the body you know moving these cells around to where it wants them to go and if you try to cluster them all in one place, is that yet another issue that that the body works against? Mm, yeah, yeah, that's uh, so. That's why what we do is, you know, if we completely do um, differentiate the cells in vitro, meaning in the lab, we don't rely on the internal uh, environment or the niche for the for the stem cells to make the right cell type. So what we have developed is completely in vitro so we can go from a, uh like i mentioned the, the from a from a stem cell to a completely functional insulin producing cell in the lab we don't have to put in the person don't have to have an in vivo environment um and then the idea is to put the fully formed so it's we are basically kind of doing sci-fi here we're making organs out of stem cells i would i wouldn't call them organs yet but tissues well, organoid right <laughs> yeah organoid organoid in the lab and then transplanting the organoid in into animals or um ultimately in in patients hmm. so we don't have to rely on you know the the internal microenvironment to uh force differentiation in a certain way Oh, you differentiate them and then implant them. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Well, have you thought about, um, does it have to be right next to the pancreas? I mean, what if you put it like in some distal place? What if you try to put it uh, in the, you know, in the capsule of the liver or some other organ? I mean, mm. I don't know. You know, the reason why I ask is um, I spoke to someone about uh, they were, you know, 3D printing mouse thyroids and they found like a preferential place to put it was not back in the area where the thyroid would normally go, but I think they did put it like, you know, adjacent to the liver or in the liver capsule or something, and it was able to function there and get the blood supply just fine. So, I mean, is that a thought that are there, are there places in the body, even if they sound like weird places, that you could put this uh, differentiated organoid and it would still function well? Yeah, yeah, that's the idea. Yeah, yeah. So we don't want to go into the pancreas because pancreas, uh, you can get pancreatitis and it's very, very, um, or cancer. So the the idea is we put the cells wherever there is a good blood supply. So capsule is one one uh, one region. So for in, in mice we actually transplant under the kidney capsule. So kidney is very well okay. innovated. I mean well vascularized. So you could transplant there. In patients we still want to be at a point where we can you know easily retrieve the cells. So that's why we're not going into an organ 
a kidney or a liver, you know, we want to keep it somewhere a little more accessible to retrieve the device or the cells at some point. So yeah, they could go in at a location where there's sufficient blood supply to keep them alive as well as where they can, you know, sense, sense glucose levels. That's the main function of the cells. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, I, I, you know, it's funny when I interview people like you, I always feel like, oh my God, there's so much work to do and to understand, but at least it'll <laughs> keep you busy for a long time. And <laughs> there's so many issues to overcome. It's crazy, you know? <laughs> yeah, but I, I want to just, you know, say something like, of course, we have come a long way. You know, we were at a point where, I mean, it's been 100 years since insulin was discovered. And, you know, all type 1 diabetes, even now, right, type 1 diabetics, they are reliant on insulin. And insulin is, the prices are going up every day. It's just, it's just crazy. So, um, and in the last 10 years or so, we have the stem cell research has come to such a point where we can actually make these insulin producing cells that can automatically release insulin and, you know, um, uh, sense glucose levels and cure uh, uh, animal models. So I would say we have come a long way. And I would probably in the next five years or 10 years or so, maximum 10 years, but definitely five years, we would be at a point where we can finally cure these people. You know, insulin injections, that insulin shots that they take now, it's only a kind, it's only treating the symptoms. Yeah. You know, you're just keeping your blood glucose levels um, cons- controlled with insulin injection. Mm-hmm. And most, most patients, you know, find it very hard. So I think as a stem cell biologist, we have now approaches where we can actually finally cure the patient where they wouldn't have to worry about how much sugar they have to take or they're taking or like the count calories um, and they should be able to eat anything they want. Yeah, well, you know, that, that doesn't usually work, but yeah. Okay, well, very good. What what do you think is going to be possible? I mean, you kind of mentioned it, but over the next three to five years, do you feel like you're close to any breakthroughs, or is it going to be quite a while? You think before this really uh, gets off the ground, and you know, it can be a clinical, uh, clinically useful thing for people with diabetes. Yeah. So we have um, we have already reached the first milestone, which is you know to make the cells that can go into people. The second milestone is to how to figure out how to protect the cells. And um, so that's something that would happen in the next three to five years. So it could either be um, a bioengineering tool, which could be, you know, encapsulating the cells, or it could be something at the genome editing level. And um, there are there are a few companies that are working on that to, to figure out a way to um, really, you know, mask the cells from further injury after transplantation. So yes. I would say that would be the next milestone. But the, the most important, like the first milestone of actually having something, you know, to, to, that can be uh, transplanted in people that we have already achieved so far. So I would say um, there is uh, two companies that already have some clinical trials that are, that are um, underway. Um, but in the next three to five years, we should have something that can be um, that would benefit patients. Is what I what would I envision? Okay, very good. So, Gopika, what's the best way for people to uh, contact you and look at your research and you know donate millions and grants to it and, and get it going, or at least find <laughs> out more? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, we could, we, the, I, we need as much money as possible to keep this going. Um, so yeah, uh, my LinkedIn account would be something. So I keep posting about what we um, do update everybody on what we are doing and then what we've achieved. So that's something that they can uh, look at. Um, and I also have a personal like a, um, research account that I can share with you. Okay, very good. We can put that in the, uh, the show notes and everything. Well, very good. Well, Gopika, thanks for coming. And, uh, you know, our, our pancreases of the future will thank you if you can, uh, if you can get this working. So millions and millions and millions of people will need this help. So uh, thank you for what you do. Thank you. Thank you so much, Richard, for having me. It was a, good, a great pleasure to talk to you. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.